Welcome to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut. Every Thursday, you will finally get to chill with us. We will be bringing on some of the quirkiest, geekiest, leading voices in the personal finance space to give them ample time to talk about their story, the lessons they have learned over time, and some good advice for all of us. No longer the short and quick stuff. So sit back and chill with TFC. But nowadays with Shein, we have like basically 10,000 new products every day. 10,000 new products? Whoa, whoa, wait, wait, and wait, wait. Is products, it... right? We're not talking about sizes, we're not talking uh. about colors, we're talking about new styles. So this is what I mean by ultra fast. It's basically really ramped it up much, much more. That's why it's so dangerous. And welcome to Chill with TFC, the show where we sit down with the geekiest and quirkiest minds to talk about how they do money and life. With inflation and rising interest rates, we're all looking for ways to tighten our belts and save a bit more money. Rumour has it that if you quit fast fashion, you can actually save enough for a down payment on a house. Is that true? Are companies like Shein, Zara or H&M what stands between you and your new apartment? Reggie and I sit down with sustainable fashion consultant True to find out more. Don't forget to stay till the end for our TFC money questions to find out True's best purchases and worst investments. This is Chill with TFC. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Very happy to be in studio with all of you today, you know, although I feel a little bit um, like out of place because today, because of the topic today, right? But the topic today is about sustainable fashion when I'm probably the most not fashionable one amongst the whole team. Okay, like the, the worst, the worst. I've been allocated for today's episode. So yeah, um, yeah, and, and I, I have Alison together with me. Alison, you want to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Alison. So I'm the assistant producer for Chills and I also got called to do this episode maybe because I am maybe slightly more fashionable than Reggie, but oh, not whoa, like... Whoa, shots fired before we started. <laughs> whoa, way. tomorrow no more, eh? Alison, don't lie. Yeah, so that's me. Great, great. And we have Chu in the house streaming in all the way from Germany. Introduce yourself, Chu. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Chu. Uh, I'm based out of Germany, but I am from Singapore. And I work as a sustainability consultant. So in my day-to-day, I kind of work with fashion businesses to help them uh, reduce their, their carbon emissions. Mm, yeah, and, and that's why you're in the studio together with us today, right? So maybe maybe exactly. we kick off. First question, I have one question. Like, what is considered sustainable fashion? You know, sustainable is like this word that's been just thrown around everywhere, right? So it feels a little bit like a greenwashing situation at this point in time. So what is sustainable fashion? I think in general, when we talk about the word sustainability and sustainable, people don't really know what to expect anymore because as you mentioned, it's been used a lot to mean a lot of different things. But essentially, what sustainability means is the ability to sustain 
mean, right? If you break the word down. And so to me, that means that fashion that's been able to, that's been created in a way such that it will help to sustain both the, um, the environmental p- part of things as well as the, the human impact part of things. So it's created in a way that's good for humans and it's created in a way that's good for the planet. And what if I'm not fashionable? Eh? Nothing like that. You got, <laughs> that you're I'm wearing very, clothes. I, that, <laughs> then that, that means I'm the most sustainable. Is that... Is that... <laughs> I'm just disturbing you. But yeah, what, what, how does that work? Like, like, why can't clothes be clothes? Why must it be fashion? Good point. Um, I think this is, um, this is just the way language works, right? When you say fashion, you think of high glamour, you think of catwalks, and, and therefore you also think of fashion pieces that tend to be a bit more premium in their pricing. Whereas when you think of clothing, you just think of very generic, pragmatic pieces of clothing. Um, so I do think there there is a bit of a, a decision from the industry to use the word fashion rather than the clothing or the apparel industry. But essentially, the fashion industry is the apparel industry. So I think none of us can kind of separate ourselves from the industry because all of us have to wear clothing. Now. We can't run around naked all day. So, you know, <laughs> no matter how unfashionable you are, you are, <laughs> yeah, you are yeah. kind of part of the industry. Yes, yes, unless you join the nudist community, isn't it? it, it can, that is an option. <laughs> that is an option, right? Yeah, very sustainable, going OG nature. But, yeah, exactly. but we're not promoting any community here, yes. <laughs> I think to me, it would be maybe more to understand like if sustainable fashion, apart from saving the environment, is there any cost savings to the consumer themselves if they you know, do decide to ditch the traditional fast fashion and go towards more of the sustainable fashion route as well? So I think when it comes to sustainable fashion, a lot of people tend to think of it as something that's quite more premium, more highly priced items. Um, and there is some truth to it, right? Because on the, on the one hand, um, in order to produce pieces at the prices that we're used to today, there are some corners that have to be cut. So be that environmental regulations that are flouted or the human cost is not actually being factored in. So you pay very, very low wages that are not living wages to the garment workers. And that's why you're able to keep the costs so low and therefore keep the prices low for us consumers. So there is some truth to that. That said, um, I think it is uh, wrong or a misconception that being sustainable in your fashion choices have to be expensive because there are actually other ways to interact with fashion that doesn't require consumption. So the most sustainable thing you can do for fashion is to actually wear the clothes that you already own in your wardrobe more often and for longer. And that costs you absolutely nothing to do. So yes, it is going to cost more, slightly more if you were to buy more like sustainably created pieces. But um, the most sustainable thing for you to do is not to throw out your entire existing wardrobe because they were all from fast fashion and to buy a whole new sustainable wardrobe, but to actually wear the pieces that you already have for much longer. Yeah. Where until you become Gem Chai, then you know, you're, exactly. you're like, you, yeah, exactly, you milk it, right? And then it becomes Gem yeah. Chai, it becomes like uh, your, your night clothes or something, right? So it goes you own that pajamas. Look. Exactly, exactly like war, right? Only I dare to walk into like the suit and tie conference in t shirt and shorts, and people are like, yeah, yeah, this guy, this is the guy, yes. And they okay, and they put me on stage with everyone else. Okay, so I own that look. But anyway, anyway, before we continue. <laughs> Before we continue on um, breaking down some of the geekiest stuff, you know, how do we be like, you know, financially savvy and also fashionable? And uh, I, I want to hear a little bit of your story because it's not every day someone ends up in Germany and ends up doing this. Like, how do you how do you start? Where do you come from? A little bit of your background. How do you end up in this like 
you know, sustainable space? So my background is actually in languages and interpretation. So that's why I end up in Germany because I, I speak German and I used to work as a translator interpreter. But I think that the, the sustainability in fashion world kind of caught me and I realized that it was something that needed me a lot more than languages and that's why I ended up doing what I do today. So my journey started on 24th April 2013 and I know this very clearly because the Rana okay. Plaza um, in Bangladesh collapsed then and back then I was just like any regular consumer citizen of the world um, I shopped fast fashion I didn't even think I shopped that much to be honest but in hindsight I did shop a lot I just didn't realize it back then um, and then Rana Plaza collapsed what happened was I realized that that I who identify as both a feminist and a fashion lover really couldn't call myself either anymore I mean I couldn't call myself a feminist because my behavior clearly supported a system that exploits garment workers um, most of whom are female and I cannot call myself a fashion lover when I had no idea what went on behind the scenes, right? I really only knew the end product and I didn't know what happened in the entire supply chain before the end product. So what I did was I read up, um, I learned that you cannot separate the negative human impact of today's mainstream fashion industry from the negative environmental impact. They're very intricately linked. Um, and then I started examining my own consumption behavior. I also explored minimalism um, and I managed to declutter like 80% of my wardrobe over a year by selling the items. It was a very time-consuming activity trying to sell 80% of my wardrobe. Um, but it was very timely because I was planning to relocate. Back then I was still living in Germany, so I was planning to relocate from Germany to Singapore. I didn't want to ship boxes of clothing back. And so I decided it was, a, it was a good choice anyway. And then when I returned to Singapore, I wanted to contribute beyond just my own individual behavior because no matter how perfect my individual consumption behavior is, I'm just one person. And that was when I discovered the organization that brought Fashion Revolution, um, which is a global movement to Singapore. I joined them as a volunteer. And after six years, I, I left them as country coordinator last year. So it's kind of come full circle. And now um, sustainable fashion is my thing now. <laughs> Da da right. Asked you anything? Asked you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that that's pretty pretty interesting. That's really one full circle. But like you know, like when you throw words like feminist, you know, and like um, what is the other one? Like fashion lover, and like you you kind of bring this discussion very 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 elevated. Right, it becomes like oh, there are certain moral standards to meet. There are certain mm. like ideas that you want to push, you know. But for 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 many of the listeners or many of the casual person on the street, at least I speak on my behalf. Like I'm like a casual person on the street. I'm not like a social warrior, not like a sustainability buff, you know. I just wear until kiam chai. That's why I kind of fit the sustainable fashion bunch of people, you know. But I'm not like you know I'm not like actively sustainable fashion or like actively social. Do you think some of these ideas? How do you make it a little bit more comfortable for more people mm. to participate you know to be part of the conversation just add on um, I think like what Reggie said you know if someone is um, thinks to themselves that they're not fashionable and they don't even shop that much right or shop at all like what you mentioned uh, previously where you identified yourself as not really a shopaholic then should these uh, common folks be concerned about you know where they buy their clothing or whether or not um, the clothing that they buy are sustainable maybe you know um just a uniqlo shirt would that be considered sustainable if they don't change out their wardrobe all the time they're just not fashionable so is this topic even concerning to them yeah i mean i think the first thing first we need to address is that even if you don't consider yourself fashionable you are part of the fashion system right i mean in fact i'll venture to say that no matter what you wear you are always making a statement with your clothes if you're that head to toe in, in like streetwear brands and you kind of want people to see that you're in the know and you're wealthy but you're kind of out of the box you're not conservative that's why you're not buying the traditional luxury pants you know I if know you're wearing you the, right 
And then if you're wearing like a typical office the two wear, X at the back of the shirt one got like yeah, two X on exactly, there. Like, oh my yeah. god, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then if you're wearing like typical office wear, you know, button-down shirt and pants or like Milan dress, you know, that means you want to be recognized as a working professional. You want to be treated as a working professional. And even if you wear like the old Kyamzai T-shirt that's like falling apart and flip-flops, you're saying that yeah, you're like beyond fashion. You know, you're like too busy mm-hmm. to bother with it. So regardless of what clothing you're wearing, really, you are you are presenting yourself once you wear it, and it does matter in your day-to-day, but it also matters already when you make the decision to purchase the item. I think what Alison mentioned earlier is uh, one of the most um, sustainable ways to um, deal with your wardrobe is to wear things for as long as possible. So the, the, the example where you wear an old t-shirt till it's falling apart. But going back to the Uniqlo example, uh, one of the reasons why people just feel like I'm just making a pragmatic decision. I'm just buying a t-shirt from any of the fast fashion brands that have to be Uniqlo. I'm not partaking in the exploitation. Um, I think we have to be a bit more honest with ourselves and we are truly just trying to be ignorant of what's happening in the, in the fashion supply chain, regardless of where you're buying your clothing from, which fast fashion brand you're buying from. As long as you're participating in the fashion system, you are very likely contributing to the exploitation of the people in the supply chain. Even if you're buying it just for very pragmatic reasons, it kind of does not dissolve you from responsibility, which is why I think it's very important that if you were to purchase brand new, to kind of think about whether or not it aligns with your personal values because I feel like the average person, no one's going to call themselves like, I mean, a feminist or whatever. Like you don't have to do that. But to know that we're buying a t-shirt for $10, if you were to imagine buying the cloth from, I don't know, Spotlight and to sit behind the sewing machine and sew it, would you charge someone $10 for it? Probably not. You would charge much more. And so the fact that you're able to buy it for $10 means that there are some corners being cut. And then I think it's our, our, our responsibility to think about whether or not we want to support that that kind of practice. As an, as an outsider in this space, right, I, I want to get a little bit more colour and can you help me be a little bit more tangential on like how is the supply chain like? How is fast fashion supply chain like? Like like what goes on within the space? You know, um, why is it so problematic? I think for a lot of people, they're on the fence like, yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend too much. Huh, but if, if this is really problematic, maybe... I will flip, you know, but but what's so problematic? Yeah, it's not unlike any other fashion mm-hmm. supply chain. If you think about it, be a luxury supply chain or a fast fashion supply chain or just any other regular supply chain, it looks exactly the same. So when it comes to material fibers in the fashion industry today, two of the most common fibers are one, cotton, and two, synthetic fibers, uh, mainly polyester. So when it comes to the raw material stage, uh, which we call the tier four, cotton, mean, uh, cotton fiber means it has to be first farmed in cotton farms. So there are farmers farming cotton plants in order to get cotton fibers. And if you're looking at polyester fibers, it's essentially the oil and gas industry, mm. right? So we are extracting oil from the ground to process into polyester fibers, which can then be spun into thread. Uh, that step is the same for both cotton and polyester fibers are spun into thread. So that's tier two, tier, uh, sorry, tier three. Tier two is when the threads are then woven into fabric or knitted into fabric. And then tier one is where these fabrics are then cut, made, and trimmed into t-shirts and, and dresses and, and goodness knows what. So that's the same for all fashion supply chains. And these tiers can happen anywhere in the world, but very often they're in the global south. So we're looking at places like India, like Bangladesh, um, like Vietnam. Um, there's also a lot more uh, garment industry popping up in, in Africa. And the reason why these factories ha- tend, to have, tend to take place or, or find themselves in the global south is because wages there are low, right? So they can make the most profit 
out of it and mm. they can save um, and they can sell it to us at a higher margin, right? That's the reason why these supply chains ha- often happen in the global south. And it's it's quite problematic because a lot of these countries where these garment industries are, the governments do want the kind of in- the kind of investments that come from these companies. And so they actually keep the the minimum wage quite low so that it's attractive for these companies to come in and invest by opening the factories but they don't actually help the garment workers in improving their living situations then and then these garment workers tend to then be caught up in a cycle where they don't have enough money to pay for their rent, don't have the money to put food on the table to send their kids to school. So the kids then have to enter the garment industry at a young age to earn money for the family. This breaks them from the school cycle, which means they can't break out of the poverty cycle moving forward. So it's all a bit of a, a cyclical problem and we kind of need to stop it. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned on supply chain and how, you know, um, the labor cost and everything is factored into um, the price of the garment. But as consumers, how do we discern if we are actually paying for the markup or actually the, let's say, the price of the material or the labor cost is mm-hmm. being justified, which results in high price, you know, being sold? on the shelves because I think clothing nowadays are getting higher and higher and there is always a misconception that um, a sustainable piece of clothing is priced higher and therefore we can maybe assume that because it's priced higher now, maybe it's more sustainable. How do we know that it's not just the market and whether or not Singapore has regulations in place to make sure that if some uh, garment company or some fast fast fashion brand say that you know actually this range or this product that we are putting out is sustainable can can it be trusted and i think like you rightly said it's actually very difficult for us consumers because how are we supposed to know whether something is uh, it's expensive because the fair price has been paid in the supply chain or whether it's because the company is earning a bigger profit margin it's re- we can't find that information right yeah um, we're so busy already and directly very yeah exactly who has yeah. time to go and search for this information yeah um, hello excuse me your supply chain is it sustainable right exactly exactly yeah, yeah. Who, who's yeah. gonna call who's gonna send that email <laughs> to us for the, such information i feel like a lot of us as consumers we sometimes forget that one of uh that we are the ones that hold the power right because we are the ones that buy the clothing so if we ask the questions, actually brands, they really pay attention. Like I mentioned Fashion Revolution earlier, and Fashion Revolution is a, is a global movement that basically fights for a more socially and environmentally just fashion um, industry. And one of the things that we do is every year we ask our, our um, community to ask brands who made my clothes. And when we first started in 2014, so a year after Rana Plaza, you know, brands were ignoring us. You know, they're like, oh, who's this small group of people hashtagging me on Instagram? Ignore, ignore. But then as the years went by, we got so loud, our community got so loud that it got embarrassing for them to, to not answer, you know, to not be able to, to answer us that, you know, who made this clothing, who's the exact person who sold this piece of garment, that they actually had to start looking to their supply chain to figure out where exactly is this clothing made, you know, who is the person that touched this clothing, which seam was done by who, and they could actually after a while start answering and this was only possible because enough people put pressure on them. So as consumers, actually, we hold a lot of power, not just through the money, but through our voices as well. But whenever we do, we should ask these questions because it's not something that we can take for granted that if something is priced high, 
that it's automatically more sustainable. Like I, I mentioned before in, in, our, in our previous call that, you know, some luxury brands, they're really expensive, but the supply chain looks exactly like a fast fashion brand. So give us some but, signs, you know, <laughs> like, like, yeah. how, like what, what big brands, yeah. which, yeah, which big houses are, are, are not, not very so ethical. So you think about luxury sense. fashion, um, the reason why they're called luxury fashion, because there's an artisanal aspect behind it, right? So if you're looking at, at, at luxury brands and you're looking at, you know, I don't know, the, leather craftsmanship the, 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 the generally the reason why they're so expensive because someone is sitting in front i don't know sewing your bag for you or putting the, the studs on for you and that understandable that in france of course it's more expensive to hire someone therefore the bag costs more expensive as well but if you're buying an item that's basically quite fast fashion-y from a from a luxury brand like a streetwear style kind of thing generally it's made in the same kind of supply chain that makes fast fashion um, and a, a logo is slapped on it that makes it cost $2,000 more or something like that, yeah. See, so on this topic on like luxury fashion, right? So personally for myself, I don't um, buy from um, the boutique. If, if I were to choose to buy a luxury brand like bags, would then buying from the secondhand pre-loved market any more sustainable than buying from the actual fashion houses because I'm so-called like reusing somebody yes. else's bag? Yeah. yeah. So uh, it definitely is more sustainable to buy things pre-loved or secondhand. I think uh, here I always like to mention when it comes to sustainable fashion behavior, um, there's this thing called the hierarchy of needs uh, that's drawn by Sarah Lazovic, and it's really really cool because basically it tells you how you can behave and and the hierarchy of of which so that you are sustainable in your in your fashion. I don't say consumption, but fashion behavior. Mm -hmm. So the first option is always to use what you have. So like I mentioned, if you have something in your wardrobe. Um, it's much more sustainable to use what you already have in your wardrobe and to kind of maximize the use of the pieces you already own. If that's not an option, then you can look at swapping. Um, there are multiple swap platforms available in Singapore, so that's truly an option for a lot of people. Um, and it's great for, for like those one-time events. Like um, when I got married, I swapped a dress. Uh, when I have an event that Aww. I need to dress up for, I also swap a dress because I'm never going to wear these pieces again, right? So I wear yes. it I swap it out, I wear it once, and then I don't need it anymore. I swap it back and someone else can enjoy it. So I find that Can you very name drop? Could you name drop some of these platforms? Yeah, sure. So the Fashion Pulpit is one of them. They are at, uh, they used to be at Marina One, but now they are at the OUE Downtown. Um, so they're very centrally located. Uh, they've got like a subscription model. There's also like um, Cloop, C-L-O-O-P. Um, so there are, there are multiple fashion swapping platforms available in Singapore that I think is just a great option uh, to refresh your wardrobe without having to buy a piece. Um, so those are swapping. Um, if swapping is not an option, you can look at thrifting or buying secondhand, which Alison has mentioned. So there are many, you know, Carousel is a, a great platform for that. But there are also a lot of pre-loved luxury brands. If you're looking at that, you can, you know, go to the Fifth Collection. You can go to Vestia Collective, um, etc. To, to get your thrill of buying something new to you, but not new. You in general. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
uh, because then you're extending the lifespan of things that already have been created and existed. And if that is not an option and you're very crafty, which unfortunately I am not, you can make your own clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love I'm to. Not either. I have a sewing machine, <laughs> but I am not good at it. <laughs> oh, fair, fair. And last but not least, if you can't make, then you look at buying. And whenever you are buying, then I would recommend as far as possible to buy a, like it aligned with your values. There are many options in Singapore as well. There are like a... If you want to buy sustainable fashion options, there are options abound in Singapore. There are also multi-brand retailers that kind of help you narrow your choices down so that you can, can, can shop with brands that align with your values. Yeah, and if that's not an option, and for example, the price point is too high and you can't afford to invest in that piece at the moment, then you can look at buying from you know, high, fashion, high street stores. Uh, but here, I would then recommend that you don't buy the super trendy pieces that you know you won't wear after a while, but you really look at what you need in the long term. And when you buy it, you make sure you wear it for a very long time. Because it's, I mean, it's not sustainable to buy a, a sustainably made piece and then never wear it because actually it's not your style or you buy out of pity for the brand, you know, like that's not sustainable at all. It's much better if you buy something that you really will wear um, and whether or not that is sustainably created or not, your behavior is actually something that, that matters a lot. So like you mentioned, fashion is part of you know, self-expression. Would that compromise on my self-expression if I want to be sustainable? Or in other words, if I want to be sustainable, will I not be able to express my self-expression? Or if I'm being you know, able to express myself, then I'm not able to be sustainable. Is that an either or? Or how can we balance on If anything, things? I feel like when we are more sustainable in the way we enter our fashion, if anything, I feel that we are more able to express ourselves. Because if you look at the at the fashion landscape, there are trends that are dictated by the fashion brands and you see them come and go. I remember when I first moved back to Singapore, like I could very clearly see within the office ladies crowd when like florals were in or like neon was in, you know, like that one week you would see everybody. Raffles Place lunchtime out. come down. Wow, how long? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone wear the same thing. <laughs> exactly. And so you and so you feel like individually you've made that decision to wear neon, but how come everyone else is wearing neon? It's because that decision wasn't entirely you expressing your love for neon, but that you had maybe internalized certain messages from the industry and reproduced it thinking that you had expressed yourself. Whereas if you are to engage with the sustainable fashion system, you are actually, you are actually made to be a lot more creative. So for example, if you go to a shopping platform, Sometimes you have in your mind, I'm going to look for a basic white t-shirt. But then you go to the shopping platform and the white t-shirt is not in your size or there is no white t-shirt. Then you're forced to almost be more creative to think, okay, what do I have in my wardrobe? What do I really want out of the white t-shirt? Why is it a white t-shirt I'm looking for? And so actually, if anything, it makes you express yourself better, I feel. Uh, it makes you more creative with your fashion choices, which I think is a lot more exciting uh, than to kind of just follow whatever trends are happening on Instagram, TikTok, goodness knows what. Interesting. That's such interesting. a new perspective, yeah. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I never so thought you, about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you totally should shout out to like Sally from HR that's been wearing Chong Sam for 30 years. <laughs> Like, girl is just presenting herself. She don't care about trend outside, you know? Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, like she is being herself. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. I, I never thought of it that way, you know? But, but, but yeah. I, I would say, you know, like, not everyone is like full on sustainability and, and all that, right? I mean, we, we, we've talked a little bit about that, you know? And, and in our earlier call, I mean, you, you said that I, I'm very sustainable in the sense that I used to think I need Giam Chai, right? You know, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I will push to say that. 
You know, because after that, after we had that call, I, I went back to think a little bit about this. Like, am I making a sustainable choice or did mm. I become sustainable because I was pushed into a situation, right? So, so and, and, and that, made me, that made me think a little bit. It's like, oh, actually it was because for a prolonged period, I, was, I wasn't like, you know, financially very flourishing, right? So mm. I was like, kind of like, you know, bare minimal, basic. And that's why I, I had to start to think of how to like stretch everything, right? Like the iPhone screen, I will not change the iPhone. I'll like change the screen five times. You know, like I use iPhone 7 until people are using iPhone X already, right? So, so it's, it's that kind of situation that I think some people might feel a little bit like alienated or a little bit off, you know, when they, when they hear people talk about like, you know, sustainable, like fashion, like all these like moral, moral, like you should do things because of morality, you know, but, but I, I did kind of enter a little bit into this situation because of a situation, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely I agree with you. I didn't become sustainable because clothing that I usually, you know, the brands I usually go to are getting a bit higher. So I've decided to either go to Carousel or if, you know, I see um, other people selling their clothes, uh, influencers selling their clothes, for example, then I'll just go buy a grab bag because I feel like her style suits mine, her size is mine, and therefore um, I am sustainable. But actually... It was never my intention to be sustainable. It was like because of course, it's like a bonus you know, thing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So then, you know, would that make me someone who cares about the environment or you know cares about the workers or actually we don't really care? Yeah, I mean, if anything, I find that that is the original, the OG sustainable behavior. Like I, whenever people mention this, I think of my grandma. I remember I vis- I, I visited my grandma before I left for Germany, and I remember seeing a clock, and on the clock there was a sticker on the back, and there was a date on it. And the date was like 1978 or something like that. And I was like, Grandma, what is this sticker on this clock? You know? And she was like, oh yeah, that's the date I bought the clock. I was like, okay, why is your clock older than me? <laughs> and she was like, that's true. Never thought about it that way. But yeah, my clock has been with me for many, many hours. Like to all my relocations, it has been with me. And that is the original sustainable behavior that you buy something because you needed it and regardless of how it looks even if it's not the most fashionable clock today or clothes today whichever you're talking about you still keep it and if it spoils you repair it such that you can use it again right so the most ideal way to engage with sustainability is actually from a financial perspective it's because it's the most convenient it's the most affordable and i think something that that reggie mentioned earlier that made me think about this was also that the fact that i think very often um uh people who have lower disposable income feel like they are they are excluded from the sustainable fashion world because the sustainable fashion pieces tend to be a bit more pricey, right? But if anything, they are already sustainable in their consumption behavior because the people with lower disposable incomes are not the one who every week is going shopping and buying that new dress for the next new party, you know. They already inherently have more sustainable behavior. It's the people who have more disposable income that get tempted by by trends and and end up consuming a lot more than they have to. So yeah, the most sustainable behavior tends to also be the most financially viable behavior. Interesting. Never thought of it that way. Um, but and and I think I think pushing down that financial angle, right? I think recently there's been some like article I think in the Chinese space where they talk a little bit about you know being sustainable can pay down payment for a house. You know, like like mm. you know not not spending on fast fashion can be can pay down payment for a house, right? Like, like, is that true? You know, like, have you did some calculation? Like, if someone does not participate in fast fashion, does it mean that they can really do these kind of things? Like, what is the financial impact? 
I think for that video, the base assumptions have to be kind of explored, right? I don't really know mm. what are they comparing with. How how much fast fashion <laughs> is this person buying? Such that they can actually save enough to buy a house? Mm. I don't know. Um, and where mm. is this house? Like in Singapore, I don't know whether that's sufficient because Singapore housing price is quite crazy. But I, I do think there is a financial argument to be made when it comes to sustainable interaction with, with clothing. For example, when we look at buying like a top from a fast fashion store, if that's called top A, okay? So if you buy top A at, I don't know, $15.90, but top A is from a fast fashion store, so the, the seams are not sewn properly, which means after wearing it four times and washing it four times, you know, the seams go kind of awry and you can't, you can't wear it anymore because you're all then it becomes like a pajama shirt already, right? So that means your cost per wear is fifteen ninety divided by four, which is like three ninety six. But then if you look at top B that you buy from a sustainable fashion brand and it costs more, say it costs sixty dollars, right? Uh, which is a lot more than fifteen ninety. But because this shirt has been sewn well, the materials are thicker, therefore they are more durable. And because it's you know a, a timeless kind of aesthetic, it's just a basic T-shirt. You wear it, and you're able to wear it more often, more than four times. So if you take sixty dollars divided by the lifetime of wear, then top B actually the cost per wear will be much lower than three ninety six. You know, even if you take sixty and you wear it fifteen times, you're already at four dollars. If you wear it more than fifteen times, basically you break even. It becomes cheaper than your fast fashion version of the top. And so actually, this longer shelf life through the better quality of these products the cost per wear actually does become a lot cheaper and you don't have to replenish it that much. It's just that when you first buy, that, that first time investment is higher. But actually, mm. you don't have to replace the piece as often and therefore, the cost per wear is lower. And, and if you buy a better piece, I think it's more likely people want to swap with you, right? In, in that sense. So yeah, then, so and then, it's got so more resale value. Yeah, exactly. and then you can swap. Head, you mentioned so there is definitely a, a better resale value as well if you buy a higher quality piece uh, such that if you don't enjoy the piece anymore because the style no longer suits you, you can sell it on Carousel or any other second-hand platform um, mm. and it will command a decent price versus if you buy a fast fashion piece that then you can really only wear as pyjamas now and you can't sell that anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> it ends up become cloth. You sell by weight, right? Which is the correct. tail end. Yeah, which <laughs> actually is the tail end of the fashion, the fast fashion yeah. cycle, right? Where eventually yeah. everything ends up becoming like weighted, right? It's just soaked as weight, you know, in, in cloth and, and all that, which ends up in the global south. Yeah, but, but I do want to dig a little bit on your thoughts on fast fashion and consumerism right i mean mm-hmm. in the beginning we talk a little bit about different fashion trends and sustainable but really doubling down on the current situation of companies like shan you know and like because we, i live in kl right so shan's just shan's mm-hmm. advertisements are everywhere every major like mid valley everywhere it's just there and, and i have a lot of friends who bought and i didn't even know they participate in it but after that, I found out, oh, oh, you also bought from Shen? Oh, you also bought from Shen? Right? So everyone bought from it, right? And, and it's like massive consumerism and, and all that going on. So what, what are your thoughts on, on this phenomenon? The fast fashion cycle was already a fast fashion cycle. But I think with the, with the introduction of Shein, it has really become an ultra fast fashion cycle. Um, so the way the fashion cycle worked is, I mean, very often it used to be packed to the European calendars because a lot of these luxury fashion houses where fashion actually started were following the seasons, right? So it used to be two seasons a year with four winter, spring, summer. And essentially what it is, what it reminded consumers that, okay, if you have a winter coat, it's time to take out your winter coat because it's getting cold, you know? And then once it's spring, you put it away because it's getting warm again. Um, and if you don't have a winter coat, it's time to buy one. But these two seasons basically became 52 micro seasons with the fast fashion retailers, you know, the Zara, the H&M, the Topshop. These are fast fashion brands. And basically what they've done is they've actually created weekly drops. 
so that you get interested to, to just pop by and have a browse every week, you know, and then maybe you'll leave with one or two items, but, but they kind of instilled that kind of behavior in us where we will pop by every week just for entertainment and then maybe leave in an item or two. So that was the fast fashion um, micro season with 52. But nowadays with Shein, we have like basically 10,000 new products every day. 10,000 new products? Whoa, whoa. Wait, wait, and wait. wait, wait. Is products, it... right? We're not talking about sizes. We're not talking uh. about colors. We're talking about new styles. So this is what I mean by ultra fast. It's basically really rented out much, much more. Um, and that's why it's so dangerous. And the other dangerous thing about Shein is the extremely low prices. I think low prices in and of itself is not a bad thing. Of course, we want fashion to be affordable to people. But the problem with low prices, of course, like I mentioned earlier, that corners are cut. We don't know what those corners are cut. And secondly, I think it also allows us as consumers when we buy cheap items to see these items as disposable. You know, if I buy something for $6, and the zipper is spoiled, will I spend my time to repair the zipper or bring it to a tailor for another $6? No, I would throw it away and then buy myself a new dress for $6, right? So that's the, that's the problem. We start seeing fashion items as disposable and that's very, very worrisome. Can, can you share me a little bit more? Why is it worrisome? Earlier, we mentioned the problem with fashion waste. Um, fashion waste is a huge, huge problem. We don't see it in, in Singapore or Malaysia because essentially what happens is we... Yeah, two things. First, any any fashion items that, are, that is recycled is essentially, as you mentioned, built into a huge bill of, of cloth and exported. Any exported cloth is counted as recycled. Whether or not that cloth is then later sewed as clothing, cut into rags or landfill, doesn't matter. Once we sell it, it counts as recycled. Right now, I think in Singapore, the percentage of textile being recycled is 4% which is very, very low. So 96% of every other clothing item or textile item that we have thrown away ends up being incinerated and then landfilled in Singapore. And considering Singaporeans love to shop so much, there is a lot of fashion waste that is going to the landfill, right? The next problem is the textile recycling part of things. Like I mentioned, only 4% of textile is being recycled, but out of this 4% that is being recycled or termed as recycled, actually a big bunch of them is sold to the second-hand market and if the second-hand market does not find a use for these things because very often Singaporeans like selling stuff or, or throwing away stuff that, that have a stain on it but actually even in the global south why would they wear something that has a stain on it right so then these things don't sell on their second market and then what happens it becomes landfill there's pictures of like the Atacama desert in Chile just being flooded fabrics from the global north because we recycled it by selling it to them and they had they couldn't do anything else with it because it's waste fabric that no one wanted to buy. And so the cheapest way to get rid of it is to dump it in some landfill somewhere. And these landfills are basically polluting the global south thanks to our addiction to fast fashion. And with friends like Shein incre like increasing our consumption by so much more, there's a lot more fashion waste that's happening. And so a lot more of this is ending up in the global south and polluting their environments. Yeah, and, and I just want to share a personal experience because I was I did spend some time in Georgia, like not like, like US Georgia, but like Georgia south of Russia, right? So ex-USSR. Mm -hmm. I, I spent a few months there. When, and when I was there, I had a very interesting experience because when I went into shops, they were selling clothing and shoes with like one piece only and it doesn't look new at all and i never because i was so foreign to this idea right it's like why this one like this like one pair here this like one one thing here everything's like one 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 and they don't look new at all 
And only after a while when I was there, then I realized, oh, this whole thing is a second-hand supply chain or like a, or like a down, downstream supply chain from Europe, right? Because it's literally, uh, you know, in, in the west of Europe, right? So all, or in the east of Europe, so everything just comes through. All your fashion or your like fast fashion, they just end up here and you, you can see like huge, huge, like the whole Boogie Street. Imagine the whole Boogie Street all sells second-hand one, you know? And it's like all, and the, the pieces don't look like tip-top one, you know? They, they look like, yeah. you know, like they're, they've been used and they look, they've been pre and even in that supply chain, there's the breakdown, right? Different level goes to different places. So, so there's that yep. whole thing there. And I think when, when consumers really travel and, and not travel to like Paris or whatever, like, but actually go to places <laughs> that receive fast fashion, you will see mm. the craziness of these things. Right? And then that yeah. vividly, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, like it's yeah. horrible. We just say pre-unloved. <laughs> yeah, pre- yeah, pre-unloved. <laughs> pre-unloved. Yeah, yeah. No, but... But that aside, right? Because that is once again like elevating the issue to be like big and social and environment, which mm. I get that, you know, there's a lot of that, right? But any thoughts on the individual? You know, if you subscribe to like fast fashion, you're in this, I don't know, hedonistic treadmill or something, right? You're part of this thing. Do you have some study or some thoughts on how does it then affect the individual? I am not like a consumer psychologist, but I believe mm. that, that our addiction to fast fashion has a lot to do with our needs. I feel that when we are addicted to something, be it alcohol or, or drugs or fast fashion, it's because you're trying to fill a void somewhere. Um, and so I think the question for us as consumers, if we are addicted to fast fashion, which I think a lot of us are not willing to admit, but if you are regularly shopping, but still feeling like you have nothing to wear, then I think it's an addiction. And I think we need to look into ourselves and see, what is this void am I trying to fill? Is it I'm unhappy with my job, so I feel like I need to buy something to give myself that, that 10 seconds of high when I buy that new item? Or is it I'm stressed at work? Is something at home stressing me? And that's why I need this release through retail therapy. I don't know what the answers to this question are, but I feel like in general, anyone that, that has to shop has to shop so regularly. Is trying to fill a void. And then I think it's for us to sit with ourselves and ask ourselves, what is that void? Am I trying to fill with shopping? Mm, yeah, and, and I always tell people, retail is retail. There's no such thing as retail therapy. Therapy is different, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, therapy yeah. costs money as well, but it's not retail. <laughs> it's different. It's different. The goals are different. Retail therapy is a is an idea to kind of like dampen. And, and I mean, that's a whole different discussion, but but it's yeah. fundamentally different. But it's Alison, yeah. Are there any like downsides to being sustainable? I mean, we all know that even if we our intention is not to be sustainable, um, you know, making such choices do um, help the, the environment or, you know, reduce the fashion waste. But actually, are there any downsides to being sustainable? I mean, the first one I can think of is, I guess I need to put in a bit more of an upfront cost when I purchase, let's say, sustainable items or I need to, you know, go hunt for um, sustainable fashion brands and reject those that are easily available. But, you know, are there any of these downsides that you personally come across as someone who subscribes to being sustainable mm. in fashion? I mean, I'm very biased. La. I'm going to say no. Yes, go ahead. No, but at, at least, at least, let's be clear, at least you are cognizant of the bias and you put it up front, right? So I love that. I love that. Please continue. Um, yes. So yes, it does, it does cost more time. Um, and it sometimes costs more money if you are looking to buy new sustainably created pieces. But the more money argument actually doesn't cost me more. Um, I don't shop regularly. And when I do buy new, I buy things that last for a very long time. Like this jumper that I'm wearing now, it's been with me for 10 years. It was expensive when I first bought it, but it's been 10 years. So, you know, it, the cost for wear is very low now, so it's okay. With regards to the more time, 
because I don't shop that much anymore. It's not like, it's not like I spend my days and nights, you know, like researching which brands I can go shopping with, you know, like it's, I don't shop that much anymore. So when I find the brands that fit my style, fit my budget and fit my values, I basically stay loyal to them. So it's not like I spend all my time researching. I, I already know which are the, the brands that I trust and I can go to. And then I stick with them. And then if I want something that's really out of the blue, a bit more different, then I go to a swap shop, a thrift store, find something a bit that's a bit out of my usual style. And then that's that. Like, I really don't spend a lot of time thinking about my fashion choices. 30 years down, Chu will be the HR Sally. You know, like, <laughs> ah, the one always wear like that one. Always same. 30 still years wearing the same, same Still wearing the same jumper. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, amazing. I wish but I yeah, could and... the Chong Sam look, but I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 30 years Chong Sam look, man. I think that's amazing. Really, really. Chong Sam is damn beautiful, just saying, right? It's like Baju Kurong is very beautiful. I think yeah. people in our part of the world, we should, you know, go into more of our, our cultural cultural stuff and, and, and all that, right? I mean, that, that's a whole different discussion. So I want to echo a little bit on the part on like addiction, like fast fashion as a form of addiction and suppressing something inside. And, and, and I just want to put it out there for our listeners that if you start to recognize that comfort eating is a form of addiction, fast fashion is a form of addiction, even going to the gym in a way where you cannot not go is all, part of a, is all a form of addiction, then you realize that no addiction is superior to the other, right? Everybody anchors on certain problems and you don't need yeah. to, you know, socially attack certain people for their their addictions, right? And and eventually we all find the things that we end up addicted to, lah. Right? There's there's all there's some level of that, right? But you don't want to get to a mm-hmm. level where you cannot function without it. But a healthy relationship, I think that's still where we are looking at. No, oh, for sure, that's important. Thank you for tuning into Chill with TFC. Before we go into our money question segment, we'd like to do a quick shout out to Rice Media. Rice Media is collaborating with us at TFC to do a complimentary piece on fast fashion and deep dive into the cult of Shein. If you enjoyed our show, do follow the link in the description box to read Rice's companion piece and also hear the other side of the fashion consumption story. That's all from us. Don't forget to follow us on our socials and join our Telegram channel. Until next time! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So here are three questions that we have for you in with regards to your financial choices when you become when you are sustainable. So the first question is, what has been your best and worst investment that you have made? It doesn't need to be financial; it can be you know anything like maybe a, your jeans. <laughs> yeah. So I think best investment uh with regards to sustainable fashion might actually be my jeans because when I first bought them, I I. I was very young. I was like in JC. So like, I think it was 100 plus thing dollars, which is a lot of money for a, a pair lot, of jeans. I was like, lot. shit, man. That's very what expensive. Um, Nudie. So they're a Swedish brand. Nudie, Nudie Jeans Company. Yes. Um, and I didn't even know they were sustainable back then. I wasn't into sustainable fashion back then. They were just mm. the right fit. And I, I like the way they look. And they were really expensive for me back then. But now that I've been wearing them for 12, 13 years, like it's definitely <laughs> like it's definitely worth it now in terms of cost for wear. So that's like one of my best decisions. Worst 
financial decision is probably like one of those dresses that I got for like an event. Um, I don't even own that dress anymore because I've sold it because I, don't, I didn't wear it. Um, it's one of those things that you think, oh, there's, a, there's an event coming up. I need to look nice for the event. So I buy a dress and then I buy the dress. I wear the dress for the event. And then I maybe wear it once in the next one year. And the dress is like $200. So it's like per cost per wear, $100. Far too expensive. And so I've sold it and I no longer own it. So, you know, I can't recoup a bit of the losses. So the next day, like you mentioned, your jeans were like 100 plus dollars. 12 years ago, right? But is there any one thing under $100 that was a game changer for you? Under $100? Yeah, um, but this is not fashion related. It's an app. No, so I, no, I, no <laughs> So I, I have like a, I have like a app that tracks my personal finances and that helps me know how much money I'm spending on like different categories, be it shopping or food or like eating out um, or groceries. And that helps me kind of understand where I'm spending my money. And I think it costs like five six dollars when i bought it but it helps me really understand like where my money goes so that if i feel like i'm poor i'm just like all right it's because i ate out too much this month you know something like that mm, mm, interesting and and just for clarity sake it is an app that only tracks your finances so you sync up everything exactly but they yeah. don't try to they don't try to push you any products no yeah great so the last question is one platform that you learn from that you think is a bit underrated like for myself it would be uh podcast so i recently got into podcast and that's how i started my own and you know listen to reggie's and so many more now but what about yourself Ooh. um so i do listen to a lot of podcasts as well and i really enjoy them but i think one of the youtube channels that i've been enjoying a lot lately so actually two maybe i cheat one is this science communication uh, channel that's in German unfortunately called my lab basically explains how science works which I think is very important because I feel very often we hear all these big words and then we don't actually know the mechanisms and how these things work so it's really cool um, and I learn a lot about how science works and and things like that through that but another thing that I really like which is in English it's called ContraPoints um, it started by a, a lady called Justine, uh, no, Natalie Wynn, and, and basically it talks about different concepts. Really interesting, like how, the, how does envy work? What does LGBTQ or transgender even mean? You know, things like that. Sounds really obvious, but actually when you come to think about it, not that obvious until she breaks it down. She makes it super, super entertaining. Uh, so I really enjoy it. And the production quality is very high. Contrapoint. Okay. Yeah. We must step up our production quality. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Podcast thank you. different. Uh, different, different. Yes, yes. Uh, maybe last question. Is, uh, is there any place that our listeners can follow you or you know get to know you a little bit better? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, they can find me on Instagram at xchuw. They can find me there and I check it every once in a while. So, I will reply messages. Great. Love it. And I love that the sun has come down. My light has been changing since like the start of recording all the way until now because uh, natural lighting. Okay. So, thank you, post producer. We'll see you next round. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.